Good morning, everyone. Junior Church, five years old through fourth grade, you're dismissed to walk up here, and they'll take you over there. Five years old through fourth grade. For the rest of you, how many of you are old enough to remember a group named Simon and Garfunkel? Okay. Five percent of the audience raised their hand. All right, so they were a group in the 60s and 70s. Um, a so-called, they called it a rock group back then, but that's not rock music that I know. Um, but they were known for some songs called The Sounds of Silence, Mr. Robins, or Mrs. Robinson, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, you know these now? Oh, he knew the first one. All the parents want the kids to understand The Sound of Silence. So, but does anyone remember the song called Blessed? No, you don't. Okay, so against my better judgment, we're going to play the video, and the lyrics are going to be on the screen. Okay, sorry, there were some of you who were singing along, <laughs> and a lot of you are going, Ugh. What part felt uncomfortable for you, besides... Maybe the music style. What words made you feel uncomfortable? The meth drinkers, pot sellers, illusion dwellers. Blessed are them. That, that's a weird song then. That song's a bit edgy, even then and still today. It doesn't seem suitable for church. Which is why Nick Helbert was up there waiting he just, let me, let me shut this off, please. Okay? I had never heard that song before as I was doing some searching for illustrations for this sermon, uh, for this scripture. That popped up. I listened to it, and I was like, ugh, yuck. And I passed on. And I was reading some commentaries, and some things kept popping up, and so I'd go listen to that song again, and I was still thinking, yuck, I don't like it. But there was something in it that I was like... Maybe, maybe we need, I need to listen to this. I couldn't shake the song. And the core message of that song is blessed all these worthless people. The people who are the edge of society, the meth drinkers, the pot sellers. The core of that message of that song is really the core of the scriptures we're going to look at today. Of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're starting a new series, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And this part, we're going to look at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is simply a fancy that word, word that means blessed. But blessed doesn't mean a state of happiness. A lot of times we think, well, I'm just blessed. And we're thinking, I'm happy. Um, most people think if they're blessed, they're happy. Instead, it has more of an idea of a state of being well off. The word blessed, before it was given the Christian slant, was actually a word that applied to Greek gods and goddesses. They would be considered blessed. They were considered well off. The other side of this thinking is that when someone is blessed, when something good is happening to them, we are blessed because God is giving favor to us. God is blessing you because you've done a good job. And if you tend to believe that scripture, that you receive blessings from God when you uh, do just good things, today is going to be just as confusing as that song. 
So what is Jesus saying here in this passage? For years, many churches have taught the conditions of this passage that people should pursue them so that you can be blessed. I've heard sermons like that in teachings. Um, I was taught that when you live in these states, in these beatitude states, you will then be living righteously. So we should all seek to be poor in spirit. We should all seek to be mourning. Uh, We should do everything we can to be meek. And I'm pretty sure some of you have heard that same teaching through the years. But is that what Jesus is saying here? I I don't want to cause any doubt on the people who I heard teach and preach that. Um, I don't doubt their heart and the faith of anyone who said that. But I think that teaching's wrong. And the more I looked at this scripture, the more my sermon changed from what I thought it was going to be. Because I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, go pursue these things so that I can bless you. I think we've got it backwards and we need to change our perspective. In order for us to understand, whenever we go to read scripture, we need to do context before content. So we need to know the setting, who is he talking to, who's around, what's going on, before we read the scriptures. So Jesus, around 2,000 years ago, he came and he was preaching about the kingdom of God. He teach and taught that people need to repent and truly believe in God. And when he says the kingdom is here, he was talking about himself. He was ushering in the new kingdom through his word and the foundation of who he is. And in doing so, he was there to help free the people, as Adam was saying, bring in that new life. The good news for the Jews is they thought this meant from just the Romans. But the good news for everybody is that the rest of humanity would be free from sin. According to Jewish thought, only the Jews could be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. All the other people were going to hell. That's what they really thought. I I know a guy who, um, at a different church, and if you go to any of these other churches around the world, you're going to hell. That's what he truly believes. You have to go to this kind of church only. I know another guy says you can only read this kind of translation of Scripture. If you read any others and follow them, you're going to hell. And we're like, that's absurd. It's the same thing the Jews were doing back then. The Jews thought only Jews could go, but not all Jews. You had to be a good Jew. You had to be a Jew that strove all your life to follow all the laws. You couldn't have any sin in your life. You also had to be somebody who was physically fit. If you were not physically fit, if you had any disease or cripple uh, illness, or th- you would be considered unclean. Therefore, you couldn't go into the kingdom of heaven, and you were just as good as a Gentile and going to hell. You also couldn't be poor if you were a Jew. In the Jewish thinking, being poor was a sign of abandonment from God. How many of us have a chance to go into heaven under Jewish thinking so far? That's right, none of us. You had to be perfect to get into heaven. And your earthly situation was a representation, it was a result of how perfect or imperfect you are. And then Jesus comes in, and who does he spend his time with? Tax collectors, prostitutes, crippled, sick. 
He was with the sinners, the ones that the good Jews would not go and associate with. Jesus' preaching and his teaching attracted all these Jews, the ones who wanted to get in the kingdom because they thought they were the right way to do it. And it also attracted all the marginal people. You ever seen a church that starts, or heard of a church that starts reaching out into a part of a community that's kind of the riffraff? And, and the, when those crowds start coming in, they sit on the side and, and nobody wants to go near them. I, I'm not saying that over here is that, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that. But they, they just have that, do we want to associate? That's kind of what is here. You'd have all the good Jews over here. You'd have the semi-good Jews here. And then you have the rest of them around Jesus. His words attracted all people, not just polite society. He also attracted people who wanted freebies. They wanted free food and free healings. And there's this guy down the road. He's preaching, teaching. He's handing them out. Let's go. We see that today with people. All this and more, people wanted to know about the kingdom of God. They wanted to know whether or not they were part of that crowd that Jesus was preaching about. And he goes up on this mountainside and he starts preaching. And that's where we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, notice crowds, so there's Jews, semi-Jews, and everybody else. Jesus went up on a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them. Saying, you ever thought this scripture is kind of weird? He opened his mouth and taught them. Why did they have to say that? He didn't mumble. So what is really saying when he opened his mouth? He was projecting it. He was out there preaching loud. I like that. That sounds like me. Okay? But so he was saying this not just for the people sitting in front of him. He opened his mouth. He projected this for all people to hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, right here's an interpretation problem. The traditional school of thought is Jesus out there blessing the poor in spirit. He's welcoming them into the kingdom of God. So everybody should be poor in spirit. Some people actually like to take this even further. And there was a long time, it's not here, thankfully, but there was a long time that people used to think in order to make sure our preacher is blessed, we need to make them poor of spirit and poor financially. We laugh, but it's, that's what they really thought. They wanted to make sure the preacher could associate with the poorest people, so let's make them just as poor. My thinking is, let's make them associated with the richest people in the community. And well, nobody likes that either. <laughs> but they used to think that you got to be poor in spirit. Everybody, you all should be poor in spirit so God can bless you. But that's a problem. A lot of scholars have tried to over-spiritualize this, I think. And let's really look at it in simple terms, just basic words. Some have said that Jesus is saying we need to be humble. That's what he's trying to say here. We have a humbleness about our spirituality. And I read a whole commentary on that, and I ended up disagreeing with that. You know why? Because that's not the word he used. He's used that word other places. And if he wanted to say humble here, I... Think Jesus would have said humble. Um, so what, what is he saying? Context before content. He sees all those crowds. And in that crowd, there's social outcasts. 
I can imagine that around half the people would be considered spiritually poor at this time. They're crippled. They're ill. They have diseases. They're poor. And the good, polite um, Jewish society wouldn't accept them. There were a lot of people in that crowd who had lost their connections with God. In that crowd, there would have been atheists, pagans, people who had no spirituality. They had no connection with God. Maybe at one time they had a connection with God. They were maybe Jews and involved in the temple, but through the abuses they saw of the Pharisees and other leaders, they wanted nothing to do with religion. Have you heard somebody like that today? That They wanted to believe in God. They used to attend church, but they saw how the people acted, how the minister or the leaders reacted. And they've been burned by religious experiences and they lose all their sense of spirituality. They're spiritually destitute. You have to remember a number of the people in this crowd, these crowds, were also formerly demon-possessed. And how would you want to sit in church next to them? And Jesus sees the crowds. Does it make sense that Jesus would say, hey, all you people, you need to become spiritually destitute. You need to go out there and become spiritually empty. Comment, uh, some stuff I was reading from Dallas Willard um, is discussing this spiritually poor. He uses the term spiritual zeros. And this is how he translated the verse. Blessed are the spiritual zeros, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Now, that line right there is going to make a lot of church people nervous. I can't be a spiritual zero. I need to be a spiritual person. I need to be growing in my strength. I need to be growing in my spiritualness. Not a zero. Who likes getting zeros on their assignments? That's your son. <laughs> wow. Jesus is up on the mountaintop looking around and seeing the people who don't want to be spiritual zeros but are already there. He looks at the crowd and says, blessed are you, you spiritual zeros, because yours is the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? I think what Jesus is doing is extending an invitation. Blessed are you who are spiritually low, who are marginalized, You have no reason to be accepted into the kingdom of God, and yet Jesus is saying, blessed are you to come on in. If you come into the kingdom, I'm going to move you from the spiritual zero to a spiritual giant. Tell me which one is a better version of hope for us, for anybody. If we're going to translate this, would it be better to have, I'm going to bless, Jesus saying, I'm going to bless the people who are poor in spirit, so you need to become poor in spirit. Or, for Jesus saying, you who are poor in spirit, you are blessed because the kingdom of God is being made available to you right now. Either you take yourself and become pathetic and worthless, or you who are already pathetic and worthless, let me invite you into the kingdom. That's a different way of thinking. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be humble. Don't take what I'm saying and shift it over into other things. Okay, I'm saying Jesus is inviting people in this. He's not blessing people because of the condition they're in. He's blessing them in spite of their condition. In spite of their life, 
In spite of it, he's still offering an invitation. How do we know this? Um, When it rains, does it only rain on Christian farmers' fields? Do you mean the rain that God blesses the earth with touches even sinners' fields? Does he allow the sunshine to also grow the plants of the meth growers or the pot growers? Not meth growers. Pot growers? Meth is chemistry. I didn't take chemistry. (laughs) Does God only withhold his blessings on those who just are called this way? Or does he let his blessings pour out? even on the spiritually poor. I think Jesus is saying, I'm not blessing you because you've achieved some sort of spiritual eliteness, but because you are able, or because you are able to be humble in spite of the fact that you are a spiritual zero, spiritual destitute, I am choosing to bless you now. In fact, I will give you the kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven, the keys to the kingdom if you you are invited. Which message would we really want to hear in our own life? Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's it mean to mourn? To be sad? To grieve? Deeply grieve? And some people will try to tell us, Jesus is saying that all people who grieve, all of them who grieve will be blessed. So therefore, you need to Seek out a lifestyle in which you are mourning all the time. Well, that's not fun. That's not happy or joyful. And I think that type of teaching and preaching actually goes against Scripture. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief, meaning Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So therefore mourn. That doesn't relate, does it? Or how about this? Uh, What does Galatians 5, 22 through 23 say? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Where is mourning in there? Where is grief? The Spirit doesn't produce that in us. See, grief is not a fruit of the Spirit. And so Jesus isn't blessing a condition. He is blessing in spite of a condition. Remember in the crowd, you lost a loved one, therefore God has abandoned you. That's what they thought. And Jesus is saying God is offering you blessing in spite of. Do you know the mortality rate in biblical times was not good? The average life was between 40 and 50 years old. So let's do something. Raise your hand if you are under 40. That's less than half. That means all of you who have your hands down are dead. How does that make you feel? Grief. (laughs) Those with their hands up should be mourning us. Because all the great ones are gone. You got that, Dustin? Back then, back in that time, the mortality rate, even for children, was incredibly low. They were always mourning something. 
When children were born, they were going to be exposed to a lot of diseases, starvation. They were losing spouses and family members because their health and diets weren't that great. They were feeling forsaken by God. They had a lot of grief in their life. And if we go by this thinking, that means we need to live a life that we have everybody in our life dying so we can mourn. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Today, there are people who have experienced the pain of grief, of losing a spouse, a child. And if you've ever experienced grief, it is something that you'd never want to wish on someone else. I, I talked with people who have lost their loved ones, their, their spouse or their children. I talked to one couple. They were married for almost 70 years, 75 years or something like that. And they buried two of their kids, two of their three kids. There's no way Lou would have said, Donnie, you need to live a life like I'm feeling right now so God can bless you. She didn't want that. But in spite of that mourning, in spite of that grief, Jesus is saying, I am blessing you. You are not forsaken. You may feel it by the friends or family you know, you ever been around somebody who's, they're going through that grief, and, and what do you say to them? Ha, what can you say to make them feel better? You don't know what to say, and, and you feel like you don't want to say the wrong thing, so you end up saying some weird joke thing that makes everybody feel uncomfortable, and then you just kind of walk away. And then they start avoiding you because they don't want to make you feel that way, and they don't want to hear those jokes anymore, and... It's not a good life to pursue. And in the midst of that situation, Jesus comes in on the scenes and says, all those of you who have experienced some form of mourning, you are blessed because I will give you comfort. That is where the blessing comes. Accept the invitation again, even in the midst of that, to come to me and I'll give you blessing. Let's go to verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If I told you to go out and be meek, many of you would have a hard time. Many people think meek means weak. Oh, the meek people, those are the ones that, you know, they're just nice and they never stand up for themselves and you get to walk all over them and they still have a smile on their face. That's not what meek means. Scripturally, meek means strength under control. That means I have the strength, I have the power and authority, and I choose not to execute it over you. A lot of moms have meekness when dealing with their children, because they could just kill them, and they choose not to. Okay, they, re they hold that strength under control. Jesus comes into this situation and sees people that Simon and Garfunkel would describe as the sat upon the people who are always last in line. And Jesus says, meek, or, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Basically, if you think you are last on this earth because you are serving other people, you're the ones always in the background, you are using your strength but withholding all of it so that you don't trump and walk over others, accept my invitation to come to the kingdom and you're going to be one of the first. You're going to be one of the first when I hand out inheritances. Blessed are the meek, the ones who know they could just do it and run over somebody, but they choose to surrender that. And in spite of that, you're going to get first in line. 
Doesn't Jesus say that? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The next one, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I wish it stopped right there. But it doesn't stop. It's for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I believe we all should be wanting righteousness. We're supposed to have a right relationship with God, right relationship with others. But is that what he's saying? Is Jesus uh, saying that we need to be talking about justice? People who really hunger and thirst for things to be right in this world, to be made right, do something about it. Back in the day in ancient Palestine, things were terribly wrong for so many people, especially poor people or common people out there. They were under the Roman Empire, and so they were taxed and, and really more than they should have been. And when the revenue wasn't making things work, the Romans would impose more taxes, and when people couldn't pay their bill, the Romans would take away their land, and then they take your land, and now you have to become a day laborer to provide things for your family, and also still pay the taxes that you owe on that land. And when you couldn't find work, because there's a whole bunch of those day laborers then, then you become unemployed and become a beggar, and now you're an outcast, homeless, and everybody hates you. They went from landowners to beggars within a month. How many of you think that's fair or just? And in the midst of that, couldn't you just see, if that happened to us, couldn't you be saying, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why have you abandoned me? I've worked all my life for this, and you take it away. I hunger and thirst for things to be made right. There are people in this room who have been treated very much unjustly. Maybe it's by an ex-spouse who took advantage of you. Maybe it's by an employer. Maybe it's the government who didn't give you what you deserved or what you thought. Maybe you're an, an older person getting into twilight years and seeing your pension and savings or 401k dwindle or, or the family not being there like you need them to be. And you're saying, something's not right about this, God. I need this to be made right. And Jesus steps in and says, in the midst of this, in spite of what's going on, I can still bless you. You want that to happen, and I will give it to you. It just may not be on this earth may not happen in your timing. But if you trust in me, then that blessing of comfort is going to come, and it will be for eternity. Go to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Many people get grace and mercy confused, okay? And we need to make sure we understand the, the difference here. Grace is getting a gift you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting a punishment you do deserve. When you play the game mercy, and if I was to play with Nate, he would definitely win, and he would push his hands like this, and I cry mercy, meaning you deserve to win, but can you stop because I'm in pain? That's what mercy. It's not grace. Grace would be him going and saying, oh, you win, Donnie. <laughs> That'd be grace. I don't deserve it, and he gave me the win. Jesus is looking at the crowd and seeing all of the needy. The diseased, the crippled, the broken. And out there, you always have a few people who are willing to extend compassion and kindness and mercy to those. We have people in this church who are very good at that. People who will step in. They will stop and help the needy, and then they just walk away. Because they don't, they don't want the recognition. They do this even when others in the church just look. 
And when you have people who are merciful, what happens to them? Generally, they start getting taken um, advantage of. It's just what happens over and over again. And they keep putting themselves into circumstances where they want to exhibit mercy, not giving people what they deserve in a negative way, and they keep getting taken advantage of. They could start thinking, I wish I could get appreciated for some of this. And I think Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you who know that because you understand you're not going to get what you truly deserve either. We need to all understand we deserve hell. If you have sinned, you deserve hell. You could say, well, I'm a good person. Not considering or comparing you to Jesus, you're not. And he's the only one who is good enough to get into heaven. So we deserve hell. I want mercy. Because mercy says you deserve it, but I'm going to give you something better. Blessed are the merciful. In other words, you can enter the kingdom way of life, the kingdom way of living, the kingdom of understanding. Mercy will give you what we do not deserve. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many here believe that they are living a life that is pure in heart? Well, that's why you don't see God, according to this verse, right? We know that Jesus talked quite a bit later in the Sermon on the Mount about the importance of maintaining a pure heart, a pure soul. We can't deny that, okay? But we, since we can't claim to have a pure heart, pure soul... And then we want to be consistent in the way we're looking at all these scriptures here. We have to be consistent by saying, maybe Jesus isn't saying, you who are already pure in heart, you who are perfect, you're going to be blessed. Maybe he's blessing them in spite of that. They want it. How many of you would love that God could look down and see your heart pure? I want that. But in spite of that, what does he do? He still looks down and blesses me. He is blessing them in spite of that. I did read where one guy says that what Jesus is saying here is you need to work at living a life of perfection for God's glory. We all know some perfectionists in our life, right? The people who have to have everything perfect, everything right in row, their their organization, their office, their home, every... Some of you are looking around at other people, and I could start calling you out, but then you'd call me out later, so I'm not saying that. You know what a perfectionist is, okay? But that's not what we're talking about. Those are things we have control over. What about your soul? I, I know a lot of people who are kind of perfectionists, and you know what? It can never be good enough at times. It's never clean enough or right enough. And even in their own life, they are never good enough. I know when I'm around people who are really good at being perfected in all those areas, it makes me feel miserable because I can never, can never stand up to how good they are. But their life, they also feel they're not good enough. That's why they're trying to, sometimes, why they're making things so perfect for them. We can never be good enough. Just know we can never be good enough. And in that thinking, we'll always start questioning our motives. Did I really help that person because I wanted to help them and show the love of God? Or am I trying to show, God, see, I do love you. Do you see it so you can, you know, give me that little blessing? When we truly start looking at our motives, 
Sometimes we start getting mixed up and messed up. And Jesus steps, blessed are the pure in heart, the the ones who want to do good and you keep messing up and you think that you're not going to be good enough. Guess what? I will proclaim you're good enough. In spite of your broken life, in spite of your broken heart, in spite of everything you are, God is saying, I will make you perfect enough. Then you are blessed. He's not suggesting pursue that type. Please don't pursue a life of perfectionism. That's just going to cause you a lot of strife. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Right there, that means no woman can be a peacemaker. If we want to take it literal, that's a joke, okay? Please know I'm just joking. Many people in this room want to be peacemakers. Unfortunately, most people end up becoming peacekeepers. And there's a big difference here. The big difference is this. Peacekeeping is all about keeping things calm. Doing what it can to just smooth it out and let's move on. Let's just, let's just take a breath. Just be calm, okay? Smooth out the situation. Peacemakers work to bring real peace, to make sure everything around is focused on the good of everyone, not just calming down, but proactively working to make peace happen. Peacekeepers are just like using that calm voice where a peacemaker says, hey, stop it. They get your attention, and then they say, now let's do this. Now, that's not very peaceful when somebody's yelling at you. But they're pushing to make sure you have peace. And God says we're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to reconcile with others. But again, is he saying all those who do this, you are the only ones blessed? Or is he looking at the crowd and saying there are a lot of peacemakers out there? We have peacemakers in our military, in our police force. The Roman army at this time could have been called peacemakers. They were charged of keeping peace, and whether you liked it or not, they were going to keep peace. And it's not a fun job. I imagine some of them were not nice. But because of the religious turmoil, they had to get in the middle of fights, break them down, or break them up. Some of you have been in the middle of domestic disputes, and you are a peacemaker who's trying to keep siblings from killing each other, or, or family members from doing something in harm. I had to call the cops on a friend of mine because when I was talking to him, he's like, you know what? I'm done talking about it. I'm just going to go kill her. And he hung up on me. And I wasn't a peacekeeper and said, called him back and said, hey, let's just calm down. Let's just take a moment and reflect. I was like, no, 911, cops, here's what he looks like. Here's what he's driving. Get him now. That's the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. When disputes happen, we need real peacemakers, those who will step in and bring peace. There are some peacemakers that we see in the world right now, like in the police. They're in the midst of the craziness that's been going on in the world for the last several years. They have to step in and try to figure out who's right or wrong, break apart, and consequently, both sides end up starting saying, well, they're the bad guys. Peacemakers always make us feel like the bad guys because they step in and just shut it down. Where peacekeepers are just, hey. They listen to Simon and Garfunkel, I think. You know, oh. <laughs> the media has portrayed peacemakers as bad guys. And Jesus steps in this situation and says, if you're a peacemaker, 
You are blessed. Even though the world may hate you, you are the ones who are going to be called after the sons and daughters of God because you resemble the prince of peace. When Jesus stepped in, did he just go up to Satan and say, hey, I like these people. Quit causing them to sin. Or did he go to the cross? Did he go to hell? And then he says, they're mine. You can't have them anymore. And he broke out of the grave and he said, come follow me. That's blunt and in your face to those who want to cause harm. And God is saying, you who want that, in spite of what's going on, you will still be called the son of God or daughter. Then 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets, uh, for so they persecuted prophets who were before you. We look at martyrs and hold them in esteem, and we should. They, they are some, the girl in Columbine. Do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? Yes. She's gone. You see uh, missionaries and other Christians in other countries. You can see what's happening by ISIS, um, Hamas, and Hezbollah. That these people who are going in and purposely decapitating, killing people. And especially the ones who are Christians. And we can hold them in right regard, in high esteem. There was a lot of persecution even in Jesus' time. Especially when people first started following Jesus, they were experiencing all kinds of persecution from Gentiles, from the Jews, from religious leaders. They didn't have to go out and look for it. Jesus right here is not saying, hey, go live your life so that everybody persecutes you. How many of you would want to sign up for that? Go live your life so much so that the world hates you and is going to try and kill you. Nobody's going to sign up for that. Christians don't have to look for it if they're living a life that's called after him. He's not saying live your life that you're persecuted. That's not a command to go look for it. All you have to do is follow Jesus and persecution is going to come after you. If you start following Jesus, you're going to go against the grain and you're going to be persecuted by family, friends, workplace, school, society, or whatever. And Jesus answers on that, even though you're persecuted... Even though these things are against you, you are blessed. These things do not determine your worth. I do. And I really think that's part of what Jesus is saying. We have a tendency to think that when life is going good, when things are good, God likes me. He's blessing me. But when things are bad, man, I must have done something wrong. What have I done that God is going to do? What happens if, if I step into the church building? Lightning might strike. Well, if this happens, God just isn't in favor of me right now. But Jesus proclaims, even when you experience persecution, that is not because God is looking down on you, but in fact, in that moment, you are blessed. In spite of the persecution, you are blessed. Um, Jesus is saying these people out there are going through some sort of mourning. To go from a spiritual zero to a spiritual giant. Maybe they came out of atheism questioning everything and now they're coming because he is going to bless them. Maybe you, 
um, you've lost a loved one, a child, a parent, job, and Jesus again says, don't worry about this stuff. You're still blessed because I am bringing the kingdom to you right now. You're going to find a lot of comfort there. For the meek, people that are bullied in life, they're always the last place in line. In spite of that, God is still blessing you. And in the kingdom, he's going to make you first. There are people who just long for things to be made right, whether it's somebody took advantage of you. And Jesus says you are blessed because you will experience it. Your situation may not change, but I will still bless you. The merciful, you give the gift of mercy. And even though it never comes back to you, I will still bless you. God is saying something, that there is something in here. Should we strive to live in these beatitudes? Yes. But not to gain the blessing of God. That's the difference. Because God's going to bless me whether good things or bad things happen to me on this earth. These earthly circumstances are not a result of God's blessing. Satan doesn't just say, oh, they're Christian, I can't touch them. Oh, I can't let bad things happen to them. In fact, those are the ones he goes after the most. And I always say, if, if you feel like Satan is not really attacking you, that's because he's got you where he wants you. He doesn't want to wake you up. God is the one who's pursuing, and he wants to change that. This Thursday, all of America is going to stop and give thanks. Give thanks because of a lot of things. And we're going to bless this food. We're going to ask a God blessing on these things. But remember, blessings are not deserved. Blessings are not something we can earn. Blessings are just gifts in spite of our sinful lives, in spite of things we've done wrong. Uh, yesterday, I got to go to Woodburn, Christian Children's Home, and I was talking about what family is to them. And it just kept, because I knew what I was preaching, and I kept thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? How many of us have been blessed by a good set of parents? A few of you raised your hands. He, he likes to get zeros, but he thinks he's got good parents. We had a great, a blessed because of a mom or dad. We didn't deserve them. Or blessed because of other family members, an uncle or an aunt. And I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed by friends who, even though I'm not the best friend to them, they are constantly good to me in spite of who I am. They still choose to love me and be my friend. How many of us are blessed by a great church? We got people that love us, even though we stumble, we fumble, and we preach way too long. We are blessed in spite of who we are. We don't do these things to get the blessings. We get the blessings and then we go do them. We go live the life because he loves us. Not to gain his love, not to earn his reward of being blessed. Blessings in spite of our sinful life. Have you been blessed? Have you truly been blessed by God? These beatitudes great ways to focus us back to thinking godly way. But if you're blessed right now, I want you to say one word of why you're blessed. Just one word. 
something you're blessed by on the count of three. One, two, three. Blessings. And it's not because we earned it. Because God gives it. If you are struggling in any of those areas, I'd like to talk to you about those. Now, I do want to say there's a lot more depth in these scriptures than we have time to get to. There's a whole lot more that we can incorporate into our lives and go deep. I just wanted to hit the surface on these, that it's not something we earn. But if you need help on one of those areas where you're struggling, where things are not working right in your life, would you come talk to us? And if you need to make a decision for Christ, if you need to make a choice that says, I want to be a part of this, I want to give my life. When we stand, when we pray, would you come forward? Let's pray. God, we thank you. I thank you so much, God, that you have come to save us in spite of our sin, that you didn't make us be perfect or righteous beforehand. God, in spite of all that, you still chose to love us and accept us. Because of that, we truly are blessed. Help us to live according to that, to proclaim that message, to go out to the rest of the world and say how much of a blessing it is just to be called a child of God. We thank you for that. As we sing this song, God, make it, may it be an offering to you, a praise of who you are to each one of us. And in Jesus we pray and now sing. Amen.